Hallelujah. The glory of the Lord is in the house. I said the glory of the Lord is in the house. The glory of the Lord is in the house. The glory of the Lord has been here since Sunday morning, and it's just increasing as the times go on. And I believe before the night's over, the glory cloud is going to come in this place. And we're going to be enveloped in the glory cloud because we need that weight of God's glory to give us the fuel and to give us the strength that we could go out into the world and impact this world for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I was just, uh, the scripture come to me as they were singing that song in Habakkuk, and it says Habakkuk 2.13, Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for mere vanity? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I said the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now there's a lot more water on this earth than there is land. And that's a lot of water and that's a lot of glory, amen? So the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of his glory, which means that you and I need to be filled with the knowledge of his glory. I said you and I need to be filled with the knowledge of his glory because his glory and the knowledge of that glory will cover the earth. Our pretty little sermons aren't going to cut it. Our little sermonettes are not going to cut it and our cutesy little things that we do at church is not going to cut it. It's only in the glory where people are changed. Amen? Amen. Send the glory, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, by faith, we just claim it. Father, we thank you that as this service goes on, that the glory will manifest itself in even greater degrees in this place. Because, Lord, we need this building filled with the knowledge of the glory, of your glory. And, Lord, we just thank you that tonight, Father, that we as your temple and as your people are filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. So, Father, we believe we receive when we pray. And I thank you, Father, that we're receiving glory right now. I thank you, Father, that we're going to receive knowledge of your word. I thank you, Father, that the glory cloud will come in so thick, God, that it will be just as when Solomon dedicated the temple and the cloud and the kabod, the glory of God came in so thick that not a priest could stand because of the glory. So, Father, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the word. I pray that our ears be uh, open to what the Spirit would say to us tonight. I thank you that our eyes would be enlightened to the hope of our calling. And God, I pray that the seed of the word of God is planted deep within our hearts. God, that that seed would grow into fruit and that fruit would not just fall off, but God, that fruit would remain all the days of our lives. And we give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Such a privilege to be back at Christ's point once again. And God is certainly among us. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. Now, when I knew that I was going to be speaking tonight and I was going to be speaking in this meeting, it doesn't always come just so instant, but the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart about what to tell you. It was almost as if it shot through me like electricity in my spirit. Now, Psalm 23 is not really a revival kind of message that you shout about the shepherd, right? But the Spirit of the Lord has sent me by tonight to speak on, just for a few moments, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, millions of people have memorized this psalm, ministers, 
have used it down through the years to comfort the hearts of people. People that are going through severe trials, people that are going through bereavement and grief and, and death, people that are suffering and people that, have, uh, that are sick. Some of the words, uh, for some, the words of this psalm have been the very last that they've ever spoken. There is something about Psalm 23 that brings comfort to every heart. More than likely, we know that David wrote this psalm after he was king. David began to reflect back on the time when he was a little boy in his father's pasture and he was tending his father's sheep. And can't you just see David, even though he's a king, his, I believe that the, the Lord brought to his mind the days that, that he was on the back side of, of, his, uh, of, of his father's uh, field, tending to the sheep. And he began to think about the times that he was with the sheep, he tended the sheep, he was the door to the sheep, he was uh, the one who got the sheep out of the thickets, he made sure that the sheep were fed and all those good things. And he began to reflect back fondly upon being a shepherd. Now, shepherds are not looked upon fondly, uh, in those days, and still they're really not looked upon fondly today. It's, a, they, they call, it's like a low-level occupation. Shepherds were lowly. I, I think that's why the, that when Jesus came, the angel appeared to the shepherds because uh, right from the get-go, the Lord just said, hey, we're going to take this to everybody, the common man all the way up to the kings, amen? So David was reflecting back on his occupation as a shepherd, but it wasn't something that he hung his head about. It's not something that he was ashamed of, but he began to think about those things. And then I, I just think the Holy Ghost began to move on him and he began to see the Lord Jesus as his shepherd. He began to see the Lord and he began to know what the shepherd does and he likened it to what he did for the sheep is exactly what God the Father was doing for him and for people. See, David himself knew the needs of the sheep but he also knew the many cares of the shepherd. Shepherds care for the sheep's every need. They help them give birth. They feed them. They protect them. They guide them. They rescue them. They discipline them. For all practical purposes, the shepherd lived with the sheep. David knew what it was like to care for the sheep. Now, sheep are not easily cared for. It's very important to understand the nature of sheep if we're going to fully appreciate this song. So we know by nature that sheep are all things that we do not want to be. For one, sheep are dumb. They're stubborn, defenseless. They're without a sense of direction and they're prone to wander slow to recognize danger, nervous and anxious. They're easily excitable and frightened. One thing is certain about the sheep, they will perish if left to themselves. I said sheep will perish if left to themselves. Now, David the shepherd now compares himself to the weak, defenseless, foolish creature uh, and when he begins to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It wasn't that he said the Lord is a shepherd. It's not even that he said the Lord is the shepherd. But he said the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord was a real personal shepherd for David. Now, the sheep is an object of property. A sheep is not a wild animal. Come on, somebody. A sheep... They, farmers will go and they will buy sheep for a purpose. They buy sheep to get their wool and they buy sheep for a lot of different reasons. But sheep are not just wild animals having nowhere to go and no, uh, uh, no direction and, and they just do what they want, when they want, uh, anytime they want and just wander around and roam aimlessly. But sheep are precious because sheep are bought with the price of the shepherd. The shepherd will go out or the farmer will go out and he will buy the sheep. Well, the Bible says that we are, uh, we are the sheep of his pasture. 
So one thing that I do know is that we have been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. Now, it's something because the shepherd bought the sheep with his own blood. Think about that. Our shepherd bought us with his own blood. So he loves us, he cares for us, he feeds us, he protects us, but it comes with a great price because there is a value to the sheep. It is certain today as it was in David's time that the Lord is our shepherd and we are his people. I belong to him. You belong to him. We are his people. And he is the lover and the bishop of our soul, the great shepherd. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. David said this with great certainty. And he said this with a noble tone of confidence and proclamation. The Lord is my shepherd. Say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The overall idea is that God's role as shepherd is one of love, care, and concern. He's a compassionate God. He's a compassionate shepherd. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he had deep compassion upon them, for they were like sheep, having no shepherd, wandering helplessly without protection and care. But we, like David, can find comfort and security in the thought that God cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, David knew he needed a shepherd. This psalm tonight is not for the self-sufficient. This psalm will mean nothing to you if you are fine and dandy and everything is okay. If you have got it all together and you are all that and a bag of chips and the dip on the side, this psalm won't mean anything to you. Amen? This psalm is not for those who think they have got it together and they're good on their own. However, to those of us who can grasp the fact that we are no good on our own, that within ourselves we have no self-sufficiency, to those of us who know that our dependency is absolutely on the great shepherd, that we're doomed to wander unprotected and wander aimlessly, not knowing where to go. To those of us who know I can't save myself, I can't feed myself, I can't lead myself, then this psalm is for you. This psalm is for me because I don't know about you tonight, but I need the Lord as my shepherd. Hallelujah. I want you to leave this place tonight without a shadow of a doubt that you walk in bold confidence knowing that the Lord is my shepherd. That when you wake up tomorrow, when you go on your job and, and maybe you're a little hazy because you're tired and, and you're just trying to make it and, and your body might be a little tired, but you something pulls on the inside of your spirit, man, and you say, the Lord is my shepherd. When people come against you, I want you to get it in your spirit and let it and draw from that well in your spirit and say, The Lord is my shepherd. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know this word is for you tonight because the Bible says that his sheep know his voice. Matter of fact, when I don't know where to go or what to do, and I feel like things get a little cloudy and they get a little fuzzy and confused. I begin to pray that back to the Lord and I say, God, you promised in your word that your sheep know your voice. I am one of your sheep. And the Bible says that I know your voice and I'm going to know the way to walk. I'm going to know the way to talk. I'm going to know which way to go because I hear your voice. And then I begin to thank God. I believe I was telling somebody this in the, in the altars yesterday. Then I just begin to thank God even though I don't know uh, things aren't so clear just yet. I begin to go around um, all day long and I say, I thank you, Lord, that I know your voice. I thank you that I know the direction. I thank you that I know what you want me to do. I thank you that it comes to me exactly where I am to go. His sheep know his voice. And if you're born again, you know his voice too. So over and over and over and over again, the Lord kept on saying, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I was like, God, that's great. That's wonderful. But really? Why can't I preach about the fire that come down on Mount Carmel? Or why can't I preach about, you know, something really cool for revival? And God said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I mean over and over and over again. 
So I want to talk about the rod and I want to talk about the staff, but one thing, I can't talk about that until we back up a little bit and we go uh, to, the pre to that, that same verse previously and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Now, grass grows in Palestine during a very short season. So shepherds struggle to lead their sheep to green grass. They feed their flock during this time, but there's more uh, time in the year when the green grass and when the food is scarce for the sheep. So in order to salvage and to bring nutrients to the flock, the shepherd has to get the flock out of where they're at and lead the flock to where there are green pastures, to where there is food and water, or he will lose his entire flock. Sometimes it's necessary for them to go through the valleys where the green plants grow, or sometimes uh, those valleys are cool and dark and damp, and there's water there that they can take their, uh, their, their sheep to, and they can even get some of that. But they're in that dark, damp atmosphere in the valley uh, is where that the, the ground is the most fertile. And so sometimes the richest plants and the richest grasses grow in those dark valleys. And sometimes those valleys are so hot that nothing grows through uh, grows in those valleys. And so they have to take their sheep and they have to lead them through those dark valleys in order to get to the other side of uh, the place of the mountains or wherever it may be where there is grass. So passing through valleys was necessary in order to reach greener pastures on the other side. Now, some scholars believe that there was an actual valley of the shadow of death, that it was an extreme dangerous one through which their she uh, the shepherds and their sheep were forced to cross. If they were going to get through to uh, other lands and other places, then they had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For many people, when we talk about valleys, we think of the hills and the dales. We think of the pleasant, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music, and we see all the, you know, mountains, and, and we see the lush green, you know, carpeted grass, and, and, and we think that, you know, that, that the meadows are there and the, the valleys are full of flowers. And when, you know, sometimes we, with our Western mindset, then we begin to think of a valley, you know, as a peaceful place. And, but this is not the idea that, uh, that they had, and this is not really what happened over in Palestine. This is not what the Old Testament meant. You see, a valley to David and a valley in uh, Israel meant a deep ravine or a gorge. It was dark, damp. It was encased by steep stone walls to where it was virtually impossible to escape. Valleys were frequently located at the foot of towering cliffs. The name of these valleys are also called wadis. Here's a story of a man who hiked a wadi. I remember hiking down Wadi Kelt from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho with a friend. A narrow ancient Roman aqueduct still flowing with water clung to the canyon wall at a height of several hundred feet. We began our journey following the rugged footpath on the opposite canyon wall, dipping at points to the bottom of the Wadi and back up to the other side. It took only about two such trips into the shadowy depths of the stifling heat at the wadi bottom, as this was early in the morning, and scrambling back up to the steep limestone wall to regain the path before we overcame our natural reluctance of height and continued our journey walking along the outer rim of the aqueduct or in the most narrow portions in the aqueduct itself. Even so, my two-liter bottle of water was depleted halfway through the journey. When we stopped at St. George's Monastery to replenish our supply, the water tap in the first courtyard only emitted steam, and then a grudging stream of almost boiling water. 
I had enough trouble dragging myself up and down those rocky hills. I can't imagine the difficulty of herding a whole flock of sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. These valleys were extremely dangerous. These valleys had snakes, wild beasts, criminals lurked in the darkness so they could prey upon the innocent. The shepherd was constantly on the lookout for his sheep, for predators that would try to destroy them. Many predators would hide in the deep ravines and the shadows of the steep cliffs uh, that hovered over the narrow valley floors. They would hide and they would wait to ambush. Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach in this building before it's over with. They waited to ambush their prey. This really was the valley of the shadow of death because it was difficult, it was dangerous, it was a deadly area, and death lurked in these areas. See, David recollected the valley of the shadow of death. He went through many trials in his life. David remembered times when he went through his own valley of the shadow of death. David didn't have a life of ease. He didn't have a life of uh, roses and a bowl of cherries. You know, he, he suffered a lot and he went through a lot and he went through a lot of wars and he shed a lot of blood and he, he did a whole lot of things. See, David had valleys just like you and I do. Valleys come in our lives whether we like it or not. Valleys are part of our lives. Now, valleys take on many different shapes and sizes. Sometimes a valley looks like sickness and disease. Sometimes a valley looks like divorce. Sometimes a valley looks like financial difficulty or loss, disgrace or betrayal. Sometimes the valley looks like aging or bereavement and grief, disappointment, rape, molestation, fear, even death itself. The valley of the shadow of death comes to us all at some time. Was it not Jesus himself who said in John 16, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, he said that this, in this world you will have tribulation, but it's going to be okay because I've overcome the world. But what's really remarkable is if you look at uh, that verse before, if you it makes sense because he says this, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And then he goes on to say, In this world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. You see, it echoes the psalmist. Jesus knew that there was going to be valleys to cross in this fallen world. Jesus didn't sugarcoat it, and he did not hide it from us. He gets real with us, and he says, Listen, guys, in this world, you will have tribulation. But he begins to continue on, and he says, But baby, don't sweat the small stuff. I don't want you to worry about the tribulation, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to fix your eyes on the fact that in this world you shall have tribulation. What he wants us to fix our eyes on the fact is that I have overcome the world. He's an overcome and he's made us overcomers, amen? So that's why that we can have peace. Peace is not found in a beaver cleaver lifestyle. It's not found when your 401k is solid and your IRA Roth account is fine. It doesn't come, peace doesn't come because of a college education. It doesn't come in a man or a woman or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Peace only comes from being in Jesus because he is the Prince of Peace. Peace is not found in the world, but it is found in him. Somebody say, peace is in him. Psalmist goes on to say, yea, though I walk. The word walk in the Hebrew indicates a firm step. Not a timid or fearful one, but a firm step. Somebody's not walking on their tiptoes trying to be unnoticed. But no, it's a firm step. It's one of those steps where your shoulders are squared back, your head's held high, and you take a firm step. So in the Hebrew, this is a firm step. David say, yea, though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, I want to dissect that just for a second. He said, I will fear no evil. In the Hebrew, the word fear means dread. 
And as I began to look up dread, I looked up the word fear, and then you know how they always give you the, the original root word, the Psalm and the Strong's Concord? I thought it was really odd because when I looked at the root word of fear, we know that it means dread, but it actually comes from the root that means uh, it has the idea of breaking in pieces. Think about that. Breaking in pieces, that's the image that we get. Doesn't fear do that? Fear causes dread. In the New Testament, it said that fear has torment. Fear causes dread, and there is a breaking in pieces. Evil, there's a whole host of words mean evil. Adversity, affliction, calamity, displeasure, distress, uh, evil, man, things, grief, harm, heaviness. I mean, the plethora of words were there for evil, which we know. But when you begin to put these phrases together, in the Hebrew, I will fear no evil literally means I will not dread of breaking to pieces under adversity, affliction, or calamity. I will not dread of breaking into pieces over displeasure, distress, or evil. I will not be, uh, I will not dread uh, of breaking to pieces under things, grief, harm, heaviness, hurt, or ill favor. I will not break into, into pieces and dread with mischief, misery, haughtiness, noises, sadness, soreness, sorrow, trouble, vexation, or wickedness, or worse. The fact of the matter is David said, I will fear no evil. I will not dread and I will not fall to pieces in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not dread. I will not be broken. I will not fall apart. Say this with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fall to pieces. I will not dread. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Give the Lord a hand of praise in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How can David be so confident? Because the next phrase says, because thou art with me. Thou art with me. The Lord never left Elijah's side when he confronted the prophets of Baal and he was pursued by Jezebel and Ahab. God never left the side of those three Hebrew boys in the fiery, in the fiery furnace. Matter of fact, the Lord just said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to dance with y'all for a while. And he got right up in the fire with them. You see, God's not afraid of the fire. God's not afraid of the mess. God's not afraid of the intimidating voice of the enemy. God's not afraid. So when God is with you, you don't need to be afraid of anything. You see, God never left the side of Jonah even when he was in the belly of the great fish. Uh, even when he went all the way up into Nineveh and he began to preach the gospel. Now that's a bad assignment. No wonder he, I don't know if you've read much about Nineveh, but no, man, no wonder the man ran. Because Nineveh was known for the way that they, uh, that they treated people and how they were mean and they were vicious. And as Jonah was walking up into Nineveh, what he was walking on a path that was full of impaled people on the right hand and on the left. And they did that for a reason. Because they wanted people to know, listen, we mean business. You come up into Nineveh and mess with us, you're going to be hanging on the pole just like these people. So it was not a good assignment when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach the gospel. You know, I want you to preach to them and I want you to call, call, uh, tell them that I want them to repent. So it wasn't an easy assignment. I would have gone after uh, the beach scene too. I would have wanted to head to the beach myself. I wouldn't have wanted to go there. But yet, as Jonah uh, began to come to himself and obey the Lord, as he's walking up into Nineveh, the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused the whole city to begin to repent. They fasted and we know the rest of that story. You see, God is always with his people. God was with Paul when they stoned him and they left him for dead, when he was a night and a, and a day in the deep, when he took all the, the stripes upon his back. You see, God was with Paul the entire time. God has always given his people courage and peace in the midst of turmoil and in the midst of hell itself. 
These times that we live in are desperate hours. We are in the final minutes of the Lord coming back. And desperate times are co have, have come to us. And, you know, if, if it keeps on getting worse and, and they keep on uh, with all of their politics and all their this and that, uh, it may get even worse before that it gets better. But one thing I do know is that the Lord is always with His people. God is always with His people. And God will always be with you and He'll always be with me. And He will give us courage in the face of, of adversity. Because the Lord is with me, I can walk with confidence through my valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because the Lord is with me. When I'm weak, the Bible said, there am I strong. God is with me when I am tired because he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, God is with me when I'm broke, busted, and disgusted because he said uh, that he would meet all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is always with his people. God's with me when I'm weary. He's with me when I'm lonely. God is with me when I'm worn out and exhausted. God is always with me because he said he promised that he would never leave me, neither forsake me, but he would be with me all the way, even into the end of the world. Hallelujah. So no matter what the situation is, the Lord is with you. Say this with me. The Lord is with me. Now, we get to the part where he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I thought that was the oddest thing when I began to think about it. How in the world can two sticks bring comfort? You ever thought about that? Really comfort? I mean, you know, I'm ready for, you know, the God of war and the God, you know, God, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And, you know, I'm all about, but really, two sticks are going to bring comfort. So I begin to meditate on it. God, how, how really comfort? What has that got to do with anything? Well, notice one thing that it doesn't say, David didn't say, my rod and my staff comfort me. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, David knew what the shepherd used the rod and the staff for. But he, all up until this point, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. He does this and he does that. And then he begins to say, hey, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it turns personal, that I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You see, the shepherd is courageous. He carries a rod and he carries a staff. He is not intimidated by the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd loves his sheep. And you can rest assured this fact, he's not afraid to use, the, to use the rod, nor is he afraid to use the staff. He will use his rod for any type of attack that the enemy may bring to the sheep. The shepherd knows the way of the predator. The shepherd also carries a staff to guide the sheep in the right path and to rescue them from the cracks and the crevices should they fall. Now, people usually think that the rod and the staff is one instrument, one implement, one tool. You know, we see it in uh, the Christmas plays at Christmas time. The shepherd comes in and, and he's got the, you know, he's got the staff and it's got the hook on it. And a lot of times we think that's all the shepherd carried, but he didn't. They were two different, they were separate uh, tools that the shepherd used, the rod and the staff. Before the days of pistols and weapons, shepherds had to make their own weapons. The only thing they had available was a bunch of sticks, so that's what they used. The shepherd's rod was usually thick and it was heavy, sometimes with a heavy knot on one end that was carved from the root of a tree or from the, the joint of the tree, and he would use it as a club. Sometimes the rod was short, and he would keep it on his belt so that he could have quick access when the predator would come and then he could beat the predator or he could do whatever he needed to to protect the sheep. But then some shepherds had a rod that was a little bit longer that didn't necessarily fit on their belt. So it was longer so when they began to, uh, when the prey came and, or when the, the, the wolves and the, the lions and everything came, then what they would do is they would use their rod but it was long enough to keep the wild beast at a distance. So really, whether the 
the shepherd carried the rod on his belt or whether he had the longer rod to where it would keep him at a safe distance, one thing that the rod did was protect the sheep. And the shepherd was always watching to see where the predator was. He kept his eyes wandering in the valley of the shadow of death because he knew that he had the care of the sheep in his hands. You see, the shepherd knows how to use the rod. The shepherd knows how to use the rod. Now the staff was something a little bit different. The staff would be as tall as the shepherd's head or it would be a little taller. It had a crook or a hook on the end of it and the staff was usually made out of a tender, uh, supple stick that he would bend as it was growing and then he would curve it around and then as the stick and as that tender, uh, that tender uh, uh, piece of wood would begin to harden, it would harden into that, that hook. So the staff was used for directing the sheep. When the, sh when the sheep did not uh, want to follow their shepherd, come on somebody, then he would reach that staff out in the direction of the sheep and he would bring that sheep back into the fold. Sometimes when the sheep would wander off and they would fall into a crack or a crevice, he would take that staff and he would put it up underneath that sheep and he, come on, he would lift that sheep out of the trouble. He would lift it up and he would bring it unto himself. You see, the, she, the shepherd always know where the sheep is and always know where the predators were. One thing I want you to notice, nowhere in Scripture did it mention sheep carrying a rod or toting a staff. Think about it. The sheep never did tote a rod or tote a staff. Nowhere in Scripture did they even have a sheep rescuing another sheep with a rod or with a staff. Sheep must depend entirely upon the shepherd for direction and protection. You see, some of you tonight, you have been trying to defend yourself. You have been trying to take the rod in your own hand with your skillful arguments, your money, your position, your education, and your own reasoning. You have been trying to use your own tools against the enemy, and it's not working. But the rod is always available. Come on, somebody. It's always available to defend us, but it was wielded by the shepherd, not the sheep. The rod and the staff was wielded by the shepherd, never the sheep. As sheep in his pasture, we must totally depend upon him for our defense. He is your defense. You can quit defending yourself because the Lord is your defense. You must depend totally upon the shepherd for your direction and for your protection. You must rest secure in his defense, not your own. A word that Patilla and I got not too long ago or several years ago that brought a lot of comfort to us was this. When people try to, uh, to uh, mar your name and they try to lie on you and they try to do all kinds of things and criticize you, instead of going around and trying to fix everything that's been said, uh, then we learned a phrase that just says, let your fruit silence your critics. Sit back and let the fruit, let, let what God is doing in your life begin to silence the lie of the enemy. And see, that's what we've got to do tonight with the shepherd. You've got to release the rod. You've got to release the staff. And you've got to allow the, to allow the Lord to defend you. Some of you have been tirelessly climbing over cracks and crevices and the problems in your life. You've been trying to walk out your own path and you have been trying to use your own defense in hand. But the Spirit of the living God has called me tonight beyond a shadow of a doubt in Galena, Kansas to tell you to stop and put down your weapons. Stop and put down the weapons of your flesh. Allow the shepherd to defend you. Allow the shepherd to defend you. Get this in your spirit and allow the shepherd to defend you. Allow the shepherd 
shepherd to lead and to guide you because he knows the way. He knows exactly where to go. See, when the children of Israel came up against the Red Sea and we have the Egyptians following close behind and the Red Sea was in front of them, they were in the valley of the shadow of death. They were in a pickle, if you will. And what happened is the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon Moses and he said this, he said, uh, stand still. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see, not do. See the salvation of Jehovah for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them no more, no more and forever. Jehovah will fight for you and you will hold your peace. You see, I've come tonight to tell you that the Lord will work it out. The Lord will work it out. There was a time my dad was pastoring and he did not know what to do. And he began to pray. He's a praying man. My daddy's a praying man. He's been a praying man all of my life. And the Lord would give him visions and the Lord would give him dreams and still does to this day. When my dad has a dream, you wake up and you pay attention because the Lord's using him a lot like Pastor Josh in, in his dreams. But the Lord, he said there was a time when he did not know what to do in a situation in the church. And he said he dreamed that night of his grandmother walking up to him. She was no longer in a bed of affliction. She was no longer sick, but she was very uh, straight and uh, where she had been bent over before. And he said she walked up to him with confidence, pointed her finger and said, Gene, the Lord will work it out. The Lord will work it out. The Lord will work it out. And I've come to tell you tonight by the Spirit of Almighty God that the Lord will work it out. The Lord will work it out. You see, the Lord is going to fight your battle and you're not even going to have to lift up your finger. The Lord will fight your battle. The Lord will fight your battle. All you've got to do is stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, Moses didn't say that you're going to do something and the salvation of the Lord's going to come. All he did was, he said, stand still and see. Stand still and see. You're doing too much. You're trying to work this out. You're trying to work that out. You're trying to defend yourself. You're saying, God, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And you're trying to figure out all the obstacles that's going to happen as you make this decision and as you make that decision. But you see, the Lord's come by tonight to tell you, you don't have to work it out. You don't even have to lift your finger in it because it'll be a supernatural work of God. It'll be a supernatural work of God to where he begins to work things out better than what you ever could or better than what I ever could on our own. You see, because he's the faithful and the true witness. I don't have to take vengeance out on nobody. All I've got to do is rest. All I've got to do is stand still and see the, the salvation of the Lord. You see... The Bible said, having done all to stand, therefore, stand. You don't have to work. It's a shepherd's job. <laughs> this is good tonight. Isn't it odd that he said the rod and the staff of God bring comfort? Really? Bring comfort. Well, comfort is something that I would really expect from a warm bed or a hot bowl of soup, right? Chicken noodle soup. How in the world am I going to have comfort walking through a dangerous valley where I'm climbing, I'm crawling, I'm running through an obstacle course? This obstacle course we call life. Well, the Hebrew word for comfort here is nakam, which means, this is, this is really odd too, it means to sigh, to breathe hard. <sighs> to sigh, to breathe, comfort, nakam in the Hebrew. Have you ever worked hard, been out mowing or been out in the yard or been out working, and you come home and you sit down in your comfortable chair? What's the first thing you do? You can relax because it's, it's a place of comfort. It's a place where there's no toil. There's no working. There's no laboring. It's just a place to lay back and not to uh, have to worry about doing anything. When you're truly comfortable, you just want to take a deep, strong breath and relax. 
That's what the rod and the staff does for you. It brings that kind of comfort. See, when the enemy of your soul tries to attack you, you don't need the comfort of your warm bed. You don't need a hot bowl of chicken soup. You don't even need a whole gallon of ice cream and sing <laughs> despair and agony on me. When you begin to act like that, you better rest assured that your enemy will swallow you whole. If you're going to uh, lay there and you're going to have a pity party, then you are going to succumb to the attack of the enemy. What you need to do is get up, stand up, shut up, and leave your pity party and rest in the great shepherd because he's the one doing the fighting for you. How am I going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I'm simply going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to walk through every day of my life, I'm going to get up and I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. How are you going to go through every crack and crevice in life? How are you going to know to, to know what to do? Some of the things you're facing are very difficult. Some things there seems like there is no good solution no matter what you do. But I'm here to tell you, you need to get up, shut up, and put one foot in front of the other and let the Lord work it out. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Glory to God. Sometimes when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, what we want to do is get depressed and we want to shut the curtains. We just want to get in our jammies and we want to sleep and act like the world doesn't even exist. But God didn't call you to lay in a bed and sulk. He didn't call you to get this depressed and to lay there. God meant for you to get up and walk walk it out and see the salvation of the Lord in the valley. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The comfort that the rod and staff bring is not so that the sheep can kick back and act like a brat. No, I can't do it. God, I'm so depressed. You see, he is not leading you to sit back and act like that, like a spoiled brat, like God's never done anything for you. God's calling you higher. He's calling you to a higher level of living. That's low-level thinking. That's low-level living. God's calling us to a higher level of living. The comfort and the rod of the staff, bring, what it brings is for the sheep to keep on walking, keep on following the shepherd. We are to stay close to the shepherd. We're to abide in him because he knows the way. He will guide you by the sweet Holy Ghost and you will hear his voice. When he tells you to walk this way, you're going to walk this way. When he says, we're going to go over here for a minute, then that's what you're going to do. You're going to follow the voice of your shepherd and he will guide you through your inner man. All you got to do is keep walking. Remember that old song? You've got to keep walking, keep right on walking. Walking in the light of the Lord. You'll get to heaven someday if you walk the right way. Walking in the light of the Lord. Well, that's what he wants you to do. Just keep walking. And I begin to think, Lord, if, if I am to rest in your comfort, then I can just kind of sit back and not have to worry about anything. I can just sit down and just relax. He said, you can't sit down in the valley. He said, because we're always moving. I'm moving you through it, Melissa. I'm moving you through it. I'm not calling you to sit down. See, comfort doesn't mean to sit down and take your leisure. It doesn't mean to sit down and get comfortable. Comfort is not sitting down and having yourself a pity party. No, sir. No, ma'am. I'm not talking about that kind of comfort. Comfort means that I trust in Jesus who's leading the way. God, I trust you. I'm walking this thing with you. I got firm footing, and even though things are rocky around me, even though there's cracks and there's crevices, and the, the wall is the it, you know, it's steep and it's damp and it's dark. My footing is sure because I walk in the steps of the shepherd. My footing is sure. I don't I may not know where I'm going exactly, but one thing I do know is that I am following the shepherd. You see, we have to trust in Jesus who's leading the way. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. And I like this line, he says, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Sometimes you got to cut yourself a little bit of slack. 
and ask for some grace and mercy and say, God, I just need a little bit of grace. I need a little mercy because I know I need to trust you more. But that's what we need to pray. God, I want to trust you more, and I'm going to trust you more. Isaiah said it's something like this. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not get burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You see, defeat comes when you're looking down. So we say to you by the Spirit of the living God, lift up your eyes, quit looking down, lift up your eyes, and get your eyes on the staff of God. Remember, the staff was always as tall as the shepherd or even a little taller. I can't walk with the shepherd when I'm looking down at my feet. If I'm looking down at my feet, I may end up over here and the shepherd's over there. So I've got to lift up my head. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. The Bible says lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. Lift up your head and look to the shepherd. Quit looking down in defeat. You cannot trust your own footsteps. In other words, you can't trust your own reasonings. You've got to look to the shepherd for the shepherd can see what you cannot see. Look to the staff of God because he knows the way to take. Job said it something like this. He knows the way I take. Say that with me. He knows the way I take. In closing tonight, I want us to all read together. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want us to read together the entire chapter of Psalm 23. There's something about when we read the Word of God together that makes it real. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.